Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of the F1 Show for coverage of the 2010 Brazilian Grand Prix from Sao Paulo. Yes, I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau. We've got a stupid bonkers show for you today. Or was, was that the word? Uh, super, intelligent bonkers. Super bonkers. I don't know. Super bonkers, intelligent bonkers, not stupid bonkers. Yes, we have that for you today. <laughs> So getting down this close to the end of the season, we haven't had many updates since the last race. Uh, Red Bull says they're going to fight as hard as they can. Ferrari. Ferrari. Ferrari says they're going to fight as hard as they can. McLaren says, oh, it's a little bit harder chance, but we're going to fight as hard as we can. Yes. uh, Button has pretty much conceded that he's out, and he is correct because he's now actually out, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah no no big updates. Uh, there were some some shots actually we saw from the Ferrari pits um, of looks like some new exhaust routing and some new trickery on the car there. Um, Ferrari did earlier say that they were done with developments for 2010 and that they had moved on to the 11 car. So uh, you know we're talking about that on Twitter and stuff. Either um, they said oh we're done with developments and those parts had already been developed that just hadn't been installed and tested on the car, or maybe you know with the recent success of Alonso they have switched back to some 2010 development because they did have a few. Little updates on the car, um, nothing dramatic, but uh, they, you know, even with two just two races to go, Ferrari still moving forward just a little bit in terms of uh, development. Or this just in, Ferrari is already running their 2011 car. Ooh, ooh, it's got that movable rear wing, man. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's 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 basically it. But uh, and then we've only got you know one week from this weekend until the final round in Abu Dhabi, so that I, I don't expect a whole lot of updates, but um, no. Uh, confirmations of driver changes or anything like that. You know, usually at this point of the season, um, we get a couple of, hey, this guy's going to be in this place next year. Yeah, the silly season's been quite mild, actually. We had that flare-up with uh, Raikkonen potentially going to Renault, and then that kind of fizzled out into nothing. Yeah. Um, and actually, with a little bit of anger, but that's about it. Yeah, and some drivers actually changing before the end of the year. They'd be like, oh, I'm going to drive for whatever team next year, and then they'd do the last few races for that team, and they would have, you know, these kind of weird things. And we really haven't seen that, except with, I guess, the, you know, the HRTs moving around. With, I was going to uh, say Christian that is clean the one exception. The clean back in the car and, uh, you know, you know, doing the Christian clean type of thing. And, uh, and, and Heidfeld again for Sauber, but, uh, you know, instead of, instead of uh, De La Rosa. But other than that, it's really hasn't been all that silly. Okay, now it's time for Taste of the Race, and this is the big one folks well culture of the race which usually just ends up taste of the race yeah you know we did that cool thing once and we've kind of backed off from that because you know life happens brazil, but brazil's great brazil is great and brazil's ability to cook a steak is beyond great and this is it we're gonna go to a brazilian steakhouse and have lamb and chicken and beef and some other kind of beef and some other kind of beef yeah and more beef i mean the salad bar has like seven different types of meat on it and that's the salad bar. And then there's skewers of meat, and they just keep coming around. They don't stop, and all you got to do is flip your token green, and it just keeps coming so, and yeah, coming. It's, it's so, so yeah, good. The Brazilian style, La Churrascaria, I think, is like the, the a Brazilian barbecue place. And then Rodicio, as I understand it, is the actual sort of style of food that we're having. Sometimes it comes on swords, which is pretty great. Any food served on a sword is good for me. Unfortunately, uh, you don't get to keep the sword. No. It's small damn play, because that would be great activity for the kids. Keep them yeah. occupied. So this is going to be kind of our end of the season, almost end of the season uh, bash. Because Abu Dhabi, I mean, you know, whatever. There's not, I don't think, amazing Abu Dhabi and food that we uh, that we need to have. But um, but <laughs> dude, we're, we're we're definitely geek for the Brazilian steakhouse. So that's going to be tonight, and uh, that's going to be big. Yeah, and uh, we we might sound a touch subdued because we haven't gotten to eat it yet, and that's slightly depressing. Yeah. So it, we're going to run through this one fast so we can get there. 
Indeed. Right, so the weekend started, as always, with Friday practice, and uh, it was, again, hard times for Petrov. Uh, he just had, an- had another pretty serious crash in uh, first practice session, uh, and then, you know, just it- it's... You know he's been driving for his job, and he has these really you know moments of doing really well. But he's just been so unreliable in terms yeah. of practice sessions. It's cost the team lots of hard work and lots of grief in terms of getting the car put back together for but him. But I could have sworn that one was a mechanical failure. I, I thought I that think one. was... He said the F duct stuck open or closed. Right. Yes. And uh, and so it was he wasn't getting the downforce he needed. Um, and actually, uh, partway through the race. Um, you know, sniff petrol on Twitter. It's like, it's like, how does a pipe with a hole in it stop working? And like, what is there that can stop? And I'm, there's probably some valve trickery in there somehow or whatever. Uh, I had maybe glove failure. Who knows? But, I, yeah, uh, I, I, but either way, it, all it, I can think of is, you know, inappropriate things to say about French ingenuity. So, so uh, we'll we're not going to say those things, yes. but uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I really would hate to not give him the benefit of the doubt because a poor guy has kind of been through the ringer. Yeah. And but I agree with you. It it seems like an odd thing to fail, but uh, you know they should be able to tell with the data whether yes or no whether that was like because they have um they have a uh, you know sensors on the springs to know how much load's being put on them mm-hmm. and if there's air going over the rear wing versus not a much not a lot of air going through the rear wing, I think you'd be able to pick up on that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, though. Um it's sort of like, well, would a would Kubica in the same situation, for example, you know, been able to handle the car a little bit differently, or been able to detect that earlier on, or been able to save the car a little bit? You know, just it's still yes, it may not have been his fault, but the question is, could could he have done anything better with it? Right, and, uh, and it, still, it, it wasn't just, his fault directly, but yeah, and know. then and then of course it compounds the problem because then he loses the rest of that practice session. They did have the car ready to go for the afternoon, uh, but still, anyway, that was that was a bit of an unfortunate news. Um, but then actually Ferrari uh, looking pretty unreliable. Actually, at uh, at, at some point on. Friday, both uh, Alonso and Massa's car were stopped on track and had to be, uh, you know, airlifted or whatever, craned back to the the paddock. And they said, "Oh no, it's nothing. It's it's fine. It it does that sometimes." Italian car, I guess, whatever. Um, but <laughs> but I mean, you know, uh, at the end of practice two, you know, Alonso has still managed to put in the third fastest lap time with a minute twelve point three. And I, according to Ferrari, it was all part of the plan. They were just going to go through all these old engines on Friday and then put in one that was going to be totally fine for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, so uh, there's a Red Bulls on top um, at the end of, uh, of practice two. And uh, and then practice three, uh, starting Saturday, uh, was rain on Saturday. And uh, so it was actually Kubica was at the top of practice three results on Saturday morning, followed by Vettel and then Hamilton. And uh, and actually Massa ahead of Alonso there for the final practice session. Yeah, a good eight seconds slower than the uh, Q2 uh, performances and typical... Kubica, you know, just having his moments of unbelievable speed. Like we've always said, he's just the master when it comes you to You know, when stuff. it comes to rain, Kubica is one of those. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> by the way, in practice three, uh, Nico Hulkenberg was 14th, by the way. Just mm. thought I'd throw that in out In case there. that, yeah. Fair enough. Okay, definitely one of the more common things you hear is, you know, uh, even though someone gets on pole, you know, that's why they run the races because you never know what's going to happen. This time around, I would have been quite happy if this was the end of the weekend. This was one of the most entertaining and impressive qualifying sessions I've seen in a long, long time. Or even, one of the, I would say, one of the most impressive just sessions of F1, you know, racing or qualifying, as far as just all the drama that happened on. So to set the scene a little bit, um, it was dry and Friday, rained all morning Saturday, uh, like we mentioned from, uh, from the last of practice. Uh-huh. And uh, so it was wet um, and lightly raining in Q1 and then kind of stopped raining, but the track was, you know, wet and then dry, gradually drying out. Right, and, but uh, and there was a there. threat of heavy rain throughout the session. Yeah. So there was a line 
line, almost a pileup of cars right at the moment of the green light to, you know, go out and try to get a lap in before it started raining heavy. And that rain never ended up never coming, but mm-hmm. was enough of a threat that people were out there constantly, which was great. Yeah, so um, the, in Q1, uh, Sutil got knocked out along with the usual bottom six. Uh, Liuzzi just squeaked through. It was a last minute, uh, you know, last couple seconds but uh, where he knocked him out. Sutil got knocked out and was livid with Liuzzi whom he felt, he felt was blocking him pretty much the entire time. It was one thing after another after another. There was one real obvious move where Liuzzi went off in the rain and came back on right in front of Sutil. Yeah. That was clear, and it wasn't exactly his fault. Maybe it wasn't heads up enough as it should have been, but it wasn't direct fault. But Sutil complained that Liuzzi was in his way the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I think rightfully so, I think at, at least for parts of the time. It uh, definitely seemed, you know, that off and back on right in front of the car, in front of your teammate, was uh, seemed like a pretty boneheaded thing to do from outside. But in the car and with everything that's going on, I don't know how much he was aware of exactly what was going on. And Liuzzi all... might have been too busy humming the Super Mario Brothers theme in his head. That to, might have uh, been what happened. That's my guess. Um, speaking of blocking and everything, though, actually, uh, Timo Glock ended up 19th ahead of both the Lotus cars. And both the Lotus cars were like, oh, we were blocked so heavily, it was so bad. So, you know, Lotus says that's why they were behind. But, you know, good job for the Virgin getting up into uh, 19th. Um, you know, more importantly, just ahead of the, the Lotuses. That's uh, that's a good result for them. But um, And speaking of the bottom seven as well, Christian Clean, um, seven-tenths, solid seven-tenths ahead of his teammate, Bruno Senna, in that HRT Cosworth. And again, Yamamoto is almost always slower than Senna. Makes you wonder. Mm-hmm. And actually, with a couple of penalties, because if you recall, Sutil had a penalty from Korea, um, and then Buemi had uh, a penalty as well. So actually, I think Timo Glock ended up starting 17th, which is a pretty great uh, way for them to start. Yeah, not bad. And um, Bruno Senna took a gearbox change, but it didn't matter because he was last anyway, so he started last anyway and so be it but okay so q2 uh the track was drying out and by the end of q2 there were some people like uh you know mclaren was like okay hamilton we're thinking about doing slicks and hamilton gets back on the radio goes no 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 no." Uh, so it was like maybe dry tires maybe not um there was what was looking like a dry line starting to form in some areas but i think all the drivers rightly so said no not worth the risk and if anyone i mean the only people that would have had anything to really benefit from uh, doing such a strategy like that is um, people that were, you know, 11th, 12th and had a chance to get in Q1 and, you know, but we're finding it out of it, <clears throat> Jensen Button. So, uh, but otherwise it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Q2, Jensen Button, man, 11th, didn't make it out of, uh, didn't make it out of Q2. Not a big Brazilian qualifier, this man. It's it's just the truth, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but so then, and then Q3 happened and it was the top 10 drivers going out there and it was actually just sort of everyone's going around. They had intermediates on, intermediates on. And then, uh, Kubica was the first to go on to slicks with three and a half minutes to go. And that's when the session just came alive. Then it was like, okay, Incredible. Kubica's out on slicks. Um, he had a couple off and ons. I mean, it was definitely the, the, you know, the classic first guy out on slicks and it like, you know, get, getting up to speed and getting a little bit too fast in a couple of corners, but he made it work. And then, uh, Hamilton and, and everybody else eventually got onto dry tires and got into super softs. And, uh, yeah, the last few minutes were just some of the, the best action and um why don't you tell us what happened next man uh i was actually in the middle of something oh man so <laughs> so, so hulkenberg sets a really fast time and he's and he's up there and you're like okay no way that's gonna stand oh he's like and hulkenberg's then, in six wow he's actually doing pretty well yeah and then, and then you know i got bumped by vettel and alonzo and whatever you know it was just as the tires as it which is such a dramatic change in tires it was almost you know whoever set a lap on the dries and made it work in the dries he would be on provisional pole but as it shuffled through it was hulkenberg um followed by the red bulls and then ferraris um and then uh you know and then uh, 
the McLaren pulled into the pits and he was done and it was like you know it sort of had uh, had finished up and Hulkenberg on top um, had had a slight lead over Vettel um, and and then went around and just said you know the well, engineers he, probably he, didn't talk to him about anything so Hulkenberg set a lap and Weber and Vettel had a chance to respond and they couldn't respond to it they were a little bit off yeah Hulkenberg had secured pole but he was also the last person on track so he was doing another um, he was doing another hot lap just in case the first one didn't stand. And that that lap was brilliant and ridiculous. They showed it afterwards. And it was – he was sliding around in a couple places. He was on the limit. And he put in another new pole lap that was even faster. Ended up being 1.049 seconds faster than second, which was Vettel. Incredible yeah. performance. So Hulkenberg's had a one minute fourteen point four seven second pole, and, and Vettel was one fifteen five, and Weber was a fifteen six and fifteen seven for Hamilton. will be back there. So, uh, so there's your top five: Hulkenberg in the Williams, yeah, Vettel, Weber, Hamilton, and then Alonso in fifth. Impressive. By the way, that's what I was doing. I was I was calculating the exact difference in lap times. That's why I couldn't talk. I'm glad that you did that. Yeah, I know it's impressive. Okay, yet again, there is no race report. I know what you're thinking. What is going on? Well, this time we actually made the decision to do this. We're uh, thinking of changing up. We kind of enjoy not doing the race report. but Well, we're all, we're trying to continuously improve the show exactly. in a variety of ways. And uh, so you it, let us know if, if you this love, is good or bad. If you love it or hate it, yeah, shoot us an email or whatever. But uh, either way, here we go. So uh, the start of the race for us started before the start of the race unfortunately for christian clean yeah so on the installation laps or the, the last warm-up in the morning um had electronics problem couldn't even make it to the grid um he ended, actually ended up starting the race late from the garage or whatever Four but, laps later but something that like sucks that. yeah, yeah to, which is uh, a shame to uh, to start down but as we mentioned super surprise pole sitter nico hulkenberg uh starting on the pole actually had a, a respectable start uh but the red bulls were were right on it uh, and it, I mean, it, it very quickly proved to be he just didn't have the car to keep up pace with these guys, especially on full fuel. But he did everything correctly. He had a good start. He was aggressive but not dangerous. Mm-hmm. He uh, didn't put a wheel wrong. You know, he well, that's not true. He slid a little wide here and there. But he was defending his position very, very well. Yeah, it was not that the Red Bulls just dispensed with him. Uh, it was he definitely put up a fight, and then especially as he moved through the through the grid, but uh, or but you know moved back through the field, he did end up losing losing positions, but um, not not like some kind of punk is what I'm saying. It's not you know some people <laughs> some people in their first pole position are just Yarno truly even Yarno truly had nothing wrong with what, <laughs> with what Nico Hulkenberg well, was doing. Some people when they have their first pole position, they're just you know they're on the grid, their heart's beating so fast that they just drive straight off of turn one. And uh, and he didn't do that. <laughs> so you're a jerk sometimes. <laughs> Whatever, man. You, you at least have been on a pole position. I've never qualified for anything in my life. Yeah, no, but that is uh, that is uh, kind of hitting close to home for me. I, I don't know why. Yeah, but anyway, is that Road Atlanta. You did that. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah. Thanks so, for bringing that up, though. Good memories. Good yeah, times. No, no problem. Uh, <laughs> So Vettel got around him um, in like turn one. I mean that was that was that was pretty quick. And I think by the end of lap one, uh, Weber had gotten around uh, Hulkenberg as well. Yeah, Vettel was around him right at the beginning. Then Weber a little bit later, and, and eventually uh, Alonso and Hamilton as well. Um, but Hulkenberg uh, was holding on to fifth place for a pretty decent chunk of time. But unfortunately, he did pit pretty early, 
and that shuffled him back pretty fast. Yeah, so it was actually lap seven uh, when Alonso passed Hulkenberg to take third. Um, so he, you know, held on for for seven laps, um, and they're they're quick laps here, but that's that's a tenth of the race. I mean, I think that's a respectable performance. Absolutely. And uh, so while we're talking about Hulkenberg, because he doesn't factor into much of the rest of this race, that's true. Um, you know, this is a huge shot in the arm for his career, uh, having a surprise pole position, and uh, even the the Red Bull guys and the interviews and everything were like, wow, they you know Hulkenberg really made us look pretty average today, and uh, the, even the Red Bull press release about uh, about qualifying stuff was like, hey, great job, Nico. You know, everyone is sort of, um, you know, I don't think anyone was upset that Hulkenberg was on pole because he's not really going to upset the championship in one way or another. It's uh, and it, it definitely threw a curveball. It was a bit it, of a curveball, but it was but it like, wasn't a monkey wrench. He's, yeah, he's not anybody's enemy. You know, it's like, oh, cool. You know, it's a rookie, and a, a Williams Cosworth could use a, you know a good result and all that. And it would have been great if it were Barrichello for the Brazilian fans. But you know, just everyone was sort of, hey, great job. You know, just Nico Hulkenberg was just able to put that lap together. So um, and he did it in such. Awful conditions. The yeah, whole and, time. and to put a stamp on it like he did, and end up with such a huge gap on, and over over the second place, and not because it was some light fuel or some games like they used to play. It was like right. you know. So anyway, um, great job for him. But he doesn't have a drive, uh, anything confirmed for 2011. And now everyone's saying, oh man, if Williams doesn't renew his contract because they're talking about taking on uh, you know Maldonado and, and doing some other switching around, they're saying, oh if Williams doesn't take him, then somebody ought to, and he's definitely got a drive now, and you know, huge shot in the arm. So I hope that works out well for him because uh, it's a it's a great result and. Uh, you know, seems to be a really, you know, cool-headed driver. And uh, even in the interviews and stuff, he sort of held up better than you'd think a, uh, you know, green rookie would uh, would really do. Well, you know, I did hear, because uh, things didn't work out with their um, their uh, driver, uh, USF1 actually has an open slot for an F1 seat uh, uh, in 2011 if, yeah. if nobody else does. That'll so, be, uh, don't, know, don't be, count on be that Be a part of the American Eagle, baby. Ooh, oh, boy. So, uh, so the Red Bulls basically checked out early in the race. I mean, they, you know, Vettel was just out there and, uh, it was a classic Red Bull. The track was perfectly suited for their car and except for the really long straight, but even then it didn't hurt them much. Mm -hmm. And they did their classic. We're out of here. You guys can all race for third. Yeah. And it was Alonzo in third and, uh, and Hamilton behind him for a long time. And there were, uh, you know, there was certainly a while where Hamilton was just chasing behind the Ferrari and had some good runs and then, and, you know, just kind of moving back and forth. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing um, terribly dramatic for a while there. Uh, and then there was, um, you know, then and actually Button was the first to pit, um, end up on, on lap 12th. And uh, and it was just you know with the way, the way everything was was bunched up he went down to 18th spot and then Massa yeah. was then Massa pit and then all this stuff um, it was it, you know so sort of the pit stops really shuffled the order pretty well because this this race went by fast I mean there well was... it, it went by fast and it's a pretty fast pit stop as well and so uh, you know the pit stop strategy was a little bit more loose you know what I mean you didn't lose quite as much time mm-hmm. in the pit so I think people were a little bit more willing to pit early. And Button pitted very early and uh, was able to, uh, once again, move up. I mean, his performance this year at Brazil was actually very similar to his performance last year at Brazil, where he qualified really poorly and then made a ton of ground during the race. Um, this time around, he made a whole bunch of ground, ended up finishing fifth, and but he made it all up pretty early, and then he just kind of stayed put behind his teammate. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, it, it definitely went much better for him after they got... Well, the interesting thing is both McLarens, but especially Hamilton, were perpetually complaining about their tires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just get on the race just I have no grip. And then the team comes back and says, oh, okay, but uh, do as best you can and make, <laughs> make some position. It's like, I mean, the dude. classic Hamilton to race engineer conversation. Yeah. It's like, I can't go any faster. Okay, great. Go faster. Sure. 
<laughs> so, yeah, so the race had actually settled down pretty well. I mean, once Hamilton couldn't quite run behind Alonso and, uh, you know, was losing arrow and just uh, and, and kind of backing off there, um, it was, you know, there were some, some mid-pack battles, whatever, going on, but it was all until, um, you know, pretty pretty late on in the race uh, when Mr. it was... Mr. Liuzzi. Tony Liuzzi just had a uh, giant crash and... Uh, Speaking Let's, of people driving for their job and ways to do well and getting the job done. Yeah, yada, so yada. it was it's a it was, little bit the other way for Louis. Yeah, Louis. so it was lap 51, and it was uh, on, on what turn two where you've got the downhill run to uh, to the left-hander, and then it was the right-hander. Yeah. Um, and it, it, remember, we've seen some incidents there before. I remember uh, David Coulthard's Red Bull just totally self-destructing, like the front suspension just totally falling apart at that corner. It, you know, was, we've seen some some interesting stuff happen there. But um, and anyway, that was, yeah, lap 51. Liuzzi just had, you know, crash in the barrier, safety car, um, which, uh, you know, bunched everyone up except that because this track is physically so short there was so much lap traffic that the top runners weren't really close to each other uh you know it was there was cars between uh there were i think two cars between uh vettel and weber and i don't know how many back to alonzo and back to hamilton but even on the restart hamilton was like 25 seconds or something behind the leader um and it was just uh there would I think a, a big shame, and I think that that ended up playing a huge role uh, in how the rest of the race unfolded. Where if um, if it were the case in F1, like it is in a lot of other sports, like NASCAR and so on, where when you get bunched up uh, behind a safety car or pace car, um, where okay, the lapped guys can unlap themselves and get so everyone's actually in order on track as they are in the race. It's hard right. standings. Um, not that you'd be able to get like if you're down three laps, maybe you just hang out at the end. You're still down three laps, but right. to be able to unlap themselves so that the guys that are at least first through fifth or maybe first through 10th are in the order they are in the race are that way on track and they can actually fight for position. That could have been a very different thing. And I was sort of excited to see that because personally I was got, you know, really, really pulling for Weber and really want, okay, oh, if he's coming right up behind Vettel and the restart, maybe he can do something tricky or maybe, you know, Vettel will pull way too close behind the safety car and the rest of, you know, who knows? Right. Right. Um, no, I, I, I totally agree. It was made, uh, made a mention on speed TV, broadcast as well that it it really is a shame and i think it's definitely something uh, formula one should look at because uh, that kept red bull uh that kept weber from putting any kind of challenge on vettel Mm -hmm. and there were definitely times where uh weber was quicker than vettel in that later part of the race and also it kept hamilton from being able to put any kind of charge on alonso yeah because um hamilton hamilton ended up with the fastest lap of the race towards the end and uh, during that um, during that safety car period, both um, Button and Hamilton actually went in for another tire change, and they didn't even lose any positions when they did that. But what that did happen was they ended up having a bunch of um, lap traffic in between them and third place Alonso, mm-hmm. and that actually gave Alonso the room and the comfort to pull even a bigger gap after the safety car, as opposed to tightening everything up after the safety car. So yeah, it really was. In this case, I think more than any other time this year, there was a lot of great racing with big championship implications mm-hmm. that was just completely missed out on um, because of lap traffic. And I'm I'm struggling to find a good reason why to leave them in there. I mean, if if the lap traffic was there, and you say, well, they were there before the safety car period, so I don't want to. You don't want to interrupt that, and you want to keep it the same for the safety car period. But the problem is, is that. Um, when you have when you have everyone spread out through an entire track and you have late lapped cars to get around, that's one thing. Yeah, when you have everyone bunched up in a couple hundred, you know, few hundred yards and you have to get around. 
it's it, it just changes everything. Yeah, because it's it's a much different story because the lap traffic, I mean, they're battling for their own positions because this isn't one random lapped guy and a bunch of front runners. I mean, this is, you know, everyone's got their own race, and especially this late in the championship, there's still uh, a lot of points that can swing things one way or another for the lower-level constructors. Oh, yeah, and being like being you and, know, eighth versus ninth in the constructors' championship or seventh versus eighth, that's huge difference in money you get and position and yeah, position so, on the – position in the you know in the pit lane all that kind of stuff so i mean one thing i could see is if um as a safety thing i say okay well basically everyone's behind the safety car and no one should not be behind the safety car no one should be allowed to go around but i do think that and and you know i think with rules and and you know they can have some percentage of lap time and this is the speed you have to carry throughout the rest of that lap to go get behind the field or whatever you know there's there's ways to i think solve that problem and do it safely but also i mean i think there's a safety issue with um, how are those guys going to get out of the way of the of the front guys that are coming through? Because there's, you know, when everyone's bunched up like that and I'm a lap down, I'm trying to stay out of people's way, but I'm still trying to fight for position. Uh, there's definitely times we've seen, uh, you know, a, a safety car that, you know, as soon as they go green again, it causes another safety car because people are uh, just trying to shuffle sure, around and trying sure, to get out of the way. Absolutely. I think there's the, the safety argument is, is a little bit hard to – it does, doesn't hold up necessarily because uh, there's, I think, a safety implication. But then as far as just the sporting – aspect of it and you know i think where you are your position in the race um it would be much greater for the sport uh, because we did see some good wheel-to-wheel racing but unfortunately it was like alonzo and Algashwari who was lap traffic and he had you know it's like alonzo had to fight to get around this position on you know, up the front of the which seemed a bit on to me because that seems it should be a blue flag and go it should be it should be he's out, out of your way and he's gone but just you know Algashwari was running his own race he actually didn't get uh didn't get any penalties or anything which i you know, wouldn't have been surprised if he did based on right. it no, looked like he slowed, right. him, slowed yeah. Alonso down. Um, it didn't end up making a big difference. I think maybe they would have looked at it differently if Hamilton had then gotten around Alonso as a result of it or something. But yeah, sure. it's, uh, it's, you know, I think definitely deprived of, of deprived us of what could have been really interesting for the championship. I mean, there was still good wheel to wheel racing, but it was sometimes just, you know, guys getting around lap traffic. And I don't think that's, that's right. Uh, uh, and as it happened, everyone, got around and you know it happened cleanly there weren't any incidents but it was you know wasn't far from uh right it know, was potential. it was clean in terms of actual more accidents it wasn't that clean Massa bumped into a couple of different people and there were definitely issues like that and um and uh, it, it would definitely was not clean in the sense that I, i've never seen a safety car period where the gaps from the positions increased before mm-hmm. The gap between Weber and um, Vettel was 2.4 seconds before the safety car and four seconds after the safety car. Yeah. Um, you know, the gap between um, Hamilton and Alonso was five seconds roughly before the safety car, and a couple laps after the safety car was eight seconds. That's what I didn't, you know, that that's what blew my mind. It's mm-hmm. like, how does that even happen? And it also, I I swear to God, once the safety car bunched everybody up and the race was over, there were 40 cars on the field all of a sudden. I'm like, how are there this many people? How much lap traffic can you have? Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, there were only, um, what were there, seven people on the lead lap at the yeah, end of it? Yeah, at the end of the race, seven people. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, most of the traffic, most of the field was lap traffic. Some people down one lap, all the backmarker teams down two laps. So everyone bunched together, and it's a, it's a short and fast track anyway. Uh, so... Uh, you mentioned Massa. Um, Massa's whole idea here was to be like good wingman and support Alonso. He's been the exact opposite. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess he helped by not being in front of Alonso. I mean, you know, unlike Massa's performance in 2007 for Kimi Raikkonen, uh, it's just been 
completely different. I mean, Moss has stated openly, I have to be there for Alonzo, and he has been nowhere near there for Alonzo. And I wonder if it's just, he's just, you know, there's been rumors about him being not quite the same guy he was before he got clocked on the head with a big spring. And there could be some truth to that. And there's also a possibility that he really just doesn't like Alonzo that much. And maybe his heart isn't in it to help, even though he knows uh, uh, from an, in, you know, from an intelligence standpoint. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I know that I should be helping him. That's the right thing to do, but maybe just his heart isn't in it. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. So, so late in the race, then he had a, uh, an incident with, I think it was, um, Buemi, I think so. Uh, yeah. left 60 and, um, you know, they, they got together, the sort of wheels interlocked or whatever, but didn't didn't have a big crash or whatever. You know, Massa went wide and came back off. And then uh, and then later, uh, Massa's tire got cut down. He had, you know, he had to go and get another pit stop. And uh, and just so, you know, Massa ended up 15th today. Uh, so not really changing or helping anything for uh, Alonso. And, you know, I, I don't know what Massa could have done. I mean, it's not like you could, Massa would have been able to slow down the Red Bulls any or whatever. So, right, right. You know, fair enough. But the fact that he wasn't even really there to slow anyone down behind, you know, right. take, potentially, take any pressure off. Potentially take pressure off, like, from Hamilton posing a challenge, that kind of thing. You know, that was, uh, that, that was a shame. Um, I would like to circle back to Nico Hulkenberg just a little bit. Yes. Um, he was way down after a pretty early pit stop uh, from his pole position. But he did manage to claw back to eighth place. So he was the first guy that was lapped. But... He did a very solid job and got a few points, and uh, I just wanted, since he did such a good job in pole, um, I wanted to make make sure to make another mention. He got an eighth-place finish. It was points. It was a good, solid position for him, and I think it was a very good race for him. Yes. Also, um, the Mercedes, so, you know, during the safety car, when both the McLarens came in and pit and, and, and uh, you know, got new tires, uh, Hamilton got new hard tires, strangely, I guess he liked those better, uh, yes. and Button went to the super softs, uh, they both came back out, and they didn't lose any positions, partially, partly because the Mercedes behind them also both came into the pits. Poor um, Nico Rosberg. He's and they just... had tire confusion, uh, that was not clear, who, I guess, whose car there was coming in, and which tires they wanted, so his car went out on some of the wrong tires, and then they had to come bring him back in to get it out, so... Um, ended up um, actually not costing him that much because of the safety car and because the the cars behind directly behind the Mercedes was Hulkenberg and the Williams and he couldn't you know he was a lap back so it ended up that that um, you know Rosberg finished sixth uh, behind the McLarens uh, and then Schumacher behind him in seventh uh, so that was sort of a you know, it didn't really change the positions all that much because of the way the safety car and everything went down. But, um, yeah, just tire confusion, getting the wrong tires on the car, having to come back in and correct it. Yeah. And that's that's just a, a crappy way to uh, to lose positions. Nico, uh, especially these last couple of races, but really in a lot of ways throughout his season and in some ways throughout his career, just has not had very good luck. But these last couple of races especially, you know, uh, completely innocent when he was taken out by Weber. And, um, and then, you know, it, it cost a lot of time. Uh, to get that tire confusion thing because he ended up pitting twice. Yeah. And uh, you know, so, yeah, really just shame. And he is proving to be, because even, you know, Schumacher, who's very, very old, um, is starting <laughs> to improve slowly but surely. You didn't think we were going to get in this time. Well, we got Oh, it. there it is. Um, is still outperforming it. I think he's doing a very, very solid job. And it is a bit unfortunate. You know, he moved Mercedes because he really wanted to be in a race-winning car. And then Mercedes proved to not be a race-winning car. Um, hopefully Ross Braun will be able to, you know, take it up a notch next season, which would be fantastic for us, um, to have that many, that, that many strong teams. But, you know, I think Rossberg is very close to establishing himself in one of the top teams where a position open. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And the 
probably the biggest story that we have saved to the last here. Um, so after lap 60, the safety car's back in. Um, you know, they're back running. Vettel is in the lead. Mark Webber's behind him, you know, back by a couple cars, but uh, then ended up, you know, just being behind him on track. And uh, they're both going around. And the big question is, is Red Bull going to call Vettel and make some kind of coded message uh, to say, hey, you got to slow down, let Weber buy? Or is right. Vettel just because of his own knowledge and driving, you know, whatever, like like the Raikkonen thing is like, the team didn't tell me to slow down. I wanted to slow down. You right. know, will he or won't he? Will there be some kind of team orders? Will there be some kind of team strategy? Because championship-wise, if Vettel goes on to win the race, um, it's, you know, Vettel, Vettel being, I think it was fourth in the, in the Drivers' Championship and move up to third, um, but that still allows Alonso to to just, you know, still have quite a good lead over over Weber. Right. If if they were to swap, if Vettel, if, uh, Vettel were to let Weber buy and Weber were to win, um, him being second in the championship, it would just be a much, much better chance for uh, for Weber to win Drivers' Championship. It would give him a much better platform to be able to finish ahead of Alonso yes. in Abu Dhabi and take the Drivers' Championship. Either way, with Red Bull running one and two, they win the Constructors' Championship. Um, and so that was for the last 12 or what, last seven laps or whatever it was. Right. Um, it was a lot of talk. Will if, they or won't they, you know, will, will they back off? Because they, they came out against Ferrari, against team orders, but there's a lot of ways to accomplish this without specifically right. team orders. And, and effectively, we're talking about uh, Mark Weber being... Eight points away from Alonso in the Drivers' Championship versus one point away um, from Alonso in the Drivers' Championship. And if Red Bull proves to have the superior car still in Abu Dhabi, which it very well could, although it could go Ferrari's way, that is possible, um, you know, Weber has a much stronger chance. Now um, it's, it's, a, it's a much weaker chance. It's still a chance, but, you know, they have effectively hurt themselves in terms of being able to get the Drivers' Championship. So the question is, was that the right thing to do? Yeah, so well, the well, the first thing is they didn't do it, um, and Vettel won the race. I guess to to formally announce that you probably know that, but yeah, Vettel wins. Uh, this just second. in. Sebastian Vettel wins. Yeah, and so they 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 chose not to, um, and it's it's a tough one because you know we've we've both we've had the team orders conversation, and I think the bottom line for both of us is. Um, either you know is that it shouldn't be there and be be sort of lied about you know they, they sort of pretend oh we don't have team orders right. but, but in but practice there do. are yeah. either either nobody does it and make it illegal and and nobody can do it but because we live in the real world and there's lots of really clever people that come up with really clever ways to get around rules just don't make it illegal and that's just like, part you of know, racing like do you understand this message? Yeah. Oh, no. I missed two shifts by lifting off the gas. Right. So, <laughs> you know, really clever things like that. Really, you know, top of the field, really <laughs> clever stuff. Um, so, you know, I guess I, I think it would just make so much more sense. And I guess I'm trying not to be biased about this because I would well, that's much the thing, rather right? see Weber there's a, there's win a, the World Championship than there's uh, a Vettel. Big, big, um, uh, big sense that. Uh, the Red Bull team favors Vettel. Mm-hmm. And I would say there's a lot of circumstantial evidence to support that. But on the other side, there's a problem because just like you say, Jim, there's, I think at this point, a very heavy fan bias for Weber. Mm-hmm. I think Weber has built himself up to be the crowd favorite because he's older. He's been in the sport a long, long time. He's paid his dues quite thoroughly, probably tipped really well on his dues as well. And if he's the guy that really deserves it, plus, you know, there's also that Vettel is going to have a lot more chances at it mm-hmm. than Weber is, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so I think the crowd really wants Weber to win. So there's kind of that bias towards um, 
biased towards Weber in that sense. So, you know, Red Bull at the moment is being accused for not doing anything scandalous. Yeah, it's it's so funny how this turns. So for you know, everyone gets after Ferrari. Oh, team orders. This is all BS, and oh, you're you're manipulating the sport. And is that more just because it got Alonso ahead of Massa? Um, and then in you know, Red Bull had the the one you know the flexi wing gate, uh, or, or not even the flexi wings, but just the front wing when they had oh, let's try the new front wing, and they only had one, and they gave it to Vettel instead of Weber. Right. And uh, it's oh, you're favoring Vettel, and they, you know, oh, well, but it wasn't even that. You no, know, they had to. Vettel broke his. Yeah, broke his. Yeah, and then and and all that. And so then you know, there's been some obvious favoring for Vettel, but this this really shows that. Uh, uh, you know, a I guess they can. You know, no one can accuse Red Bull of giving team orders. I mean, right. There's just really no way to accuse them for that. But it also shows that they would rather risk losing the drivers' championship than give team orders to help Weber. Yes. And the big controversy in my mind. Well, there, I have two points to make. First, I do genuinely think it was different between what's going on now and what happened between Alonso and Massa in Germany. Mm-hmm. It's Germany, right? Anyway. Um, one, both Massa and Alonso at the time had still very reasonable chances of getting at the championship, whereas now we're literally talking about one more race after this, and you know one person clearly has a better chance than the other because at this point, even after the race win, um, Vettel is still 14 points behind um, behind Alonso, so he is much more at the mercy of Alonso's race than just doing well himself. You know, even if Vettel wins, you know, Mazda has to be, what, fifth or sixth before he would actually win the championship. Alonso, yeah. Yeah, so um, Vettel to win the championship is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, and so that's that's the difference between the two. The second point is that, um, well, you know, I had, I had such a great first point. I don't remember the second point now. The second point is, is that uh, Weber's really dreamy. And should win. Well, no. Uh, so after the race, you know, you kind of wonder how how it's going to go down because, in one sense, Weber uh, and, and what he ended up saying was sort of like, "Well, all right, fair play. Sebastian won the race. You know, he yeah. was faster, and it's uh, you know, it, it's not the case that Weber was in front and they slowed him down to let Vettel around. I mean, it wasn't anything super sketchy. It was just like, okay, Vettel was in the front and they didn't slow him down, or he didn't back off to allow Weber to uh, to come through and win. So, Mark Weber has been astonishingly cool about this, as as is Mark Weber. You know, he just sort of. Uh, has has had that way of like you know I, you almost wonder if um, and there's some talk of how he uh, may not be with Red Bull next year I mean yeah he's got a contract but maybe uh, you know what F it you know if I you know if I'm if the way everything's gone down with the, with the team and everything maybe he just wants to be done with it and move on uh, so it maybe he's like playing it cool and after their season he's gonna be like you know what I'm done like this is BS I'm out of here guys well he's in Prob- a tough position probably though. that won't happen but right. it's just it's tough when you know the team um, in almost any other team would. Uh, would really be behind him. I mean, when they have any team has a chance to right. win, so, so you know they had the the, tra- the constructors championship sorted out, and that's really the most important thing for the team, I think. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, and then the, if they have a chance to win the drivers championship, what team you know what teams would just not take do anything they could to give a much much better chance of winning the drivers championship? I mean, well, it's just as really, best a chance as possible. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, it, it, and it's. It's tough because uh, the other thing that I can't help but think about is the incident that happened in Turkey. And what bothers me about it was Weber was in front of Vettel, mm-hmm. and Vettel was gaining on Weber. But from all the post-race interviews and stuff like that, it seemed very clear, and especially the reaction when the accident happened of how they how everyone in the team blamed Weber, which was just absurd. Yeah. Um, 
that they wanted Weber to let Vettel buy. And, you know, they didn't. So you have that circumstance happen. Um, Weber ends up losing the lead of the race. Vettel ends up being out of the race completely. And and now you kind of come into this reverse situation where, unlike in Turkey, where, you know, the championship is still completely wide open, now you have, you now you have, just like you say, a very real chance for your, you know, fan-loved Australian driver of 34 years old to win the championship. Or you have this, you know, what, now 23-year-old kid in uh, Vettel, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's to have an outside chance, it, it just, it just rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, it, it really does. And I guess with, um, if I'm, if I were Weber in this situation, I guess, you know, to be able, if he can go on in Abu Dhabi and if he wins and even if, uh, if maybe Vettel's second or whatever with Alonzo back That's there, what it would take. If, if Weber wins and Vettel's in second. Or, or somebody's in second, doesn't matter. But if, if Alonzo is yeah. third or lower, if, I think. If, if, if Weber wins and Alonzo's third or lower, then he gets it. So, or second and Alonzo's seventh or something. Yeah, like so that. I've got to imagine if, um, you know, if Alonzo or if, if Weber is able to come back and sort of in spite of the team and in spite of them not giving him a hand, you know, not, not even a handout, but, you know, giving him some, the advantage where they can, if he's able to win this championship, um, then I've got to imagine if I were him, I would just, I would be like, all right, I won the championship in spite of this team. It's almost Weber against Red Bull now. and uh, In a weird way, and yeah. Then, and just, and like, quit the team and be like, you know what, you guys, like, I, like, you know, screw you guys. I still won the championship, even though you weren't giving me any favors and you're all about Vettel. And so, you know what, go do your thing with Vettel. And whether Weber would just retire at that point saying, hey, I'm world champion, see ya. Um, or, you know, go on to another team where he can bring the number one with him and be top driver and not have to worry about this stuff. Um, you know, I, I just can't picture Weber wanting to continue Either way, and if he loses out to the championship, because it's only going to be by a few points, I mean, just the way that these things are, I mean, unless he crashes out on his own in Abu Dhabi or something, you know, it's, uh, if he ends up losing the championship and he's got, you know, all these, all these things uh, that have, that have shown, you know, through, uh, throughout the season that they've shown to, to lead him there, um, either way, he, it's not like he's in a good, you know, good spot with Red Bull as, as cordial as he is in the interviews and all that. Um, it's just, it's gotta be so frustrating and, uh. You know, I it's puts Weber in a tough situation. I think. Yeah, but you know, so here's and that's all very true, and I understand it. But here's the counterpoint: Red Bull is giving him a race-winning car. He's been waiting for uh, he's been waiting for an opportunity like this for pretty much a decade. You know, his first race win ever was in Germany of last year, and so that's it's like Red Bull can kind of say. Okay, yeah, we're not, you know, you know, you're kind of second tier slightly to Vettel, but it's not as bad as it ever was, not even close between Barrichello and Schumacher. It's not open and you know that you have to play second fiddle all the time. It's it's not bad, it's just subtle. And two, name another team you're going to win races with that you can go to next year. You know, so if it's so bad for Weber that he has to retire, then he should retire. But otherwise, despite how the situation is less than ideal, this is still the best place for him by far. And that's the that's the rub. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like the the irony of life, I suppose. It, I guess it's just the way it is with the with the race winning cars. Because I, mean, I could imagine, you know, I don't know if he were to be in like a Renault or something, where it's like maybe challenging for a race win. But if he could be number one driver, but I mean, but yeah, I guess Renault they, with Kubica, whatever. Right. There's, Renault there's no, with Kubica, McLaren with Hamilton. Although if you come in with if you come in with the number one though, if you come in as a, as a defending world champion, then there's 
Yeah. But where is he going to go? He's not going to go to Ferrari, and he certainly wouldn't be number one if he did. He wouldn't be Mercedes He's, number one, obviously. He, w- he wouldn't be Mercedes number one. He wouldn't be McLaren number one, and he wouldn't be Renault one. I'm, we're, the best Maybe team the he, Lotuses are going to be amazing next year. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Yeah. The best team he could probably go to is Williams. And even then, he wouldn't be number one. Hmm. You know, I just uh, he's in a, he's in a really tough spot, and it sucks, but it's still a really good situation for him in the grand scheme of things. Even though it's got to be frustrating, though. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's 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 frustrating. It's even more frustrating that it is frustrating. You know, it's like here I am. I'm finally in a position where I'm winning races, have a chance at the championship. And you're still screwing it up. And for I, me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How is this frustrating? But it is because of this stupid little punk kid that I happen to really like. Now, we personally don't have anything against Vettel. He's had a couple of moments in immaturity and everything like that. But it's not like this is this isn't like an Alonso situation where he's the perfect villain. Vettel is a perfectly nice guy, and Vettel's not really doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a Formula One driver that doesn't want to concede his championship hopes, even though they're more outside than his teammates. Mm-hmm. You want that, of course. But it's just tough to see because, you know, Weber's Weber's much more of that like, you know, you know, movie drama where the guy that fights through adversity and finally gets his chance type of thing. And that's the problem. Yeah, that's that's really like I don't I don't think there's any question. Uh, I mean, you know, virtually any question, whatever. You know, like Vettel will have his chances. Vettel will probably be, in, in all likelihood, will be F1 World Driver Championship at, driver champion at some point. You know, with the the deals he's got, with the clouds he's already made, with his with his skill, and yeah, he's maybe got some maturity issues and so on. But who doesn't? You know, with Alonso and everyone right. else, um, and and even Hamilton with with whatever. So. Um, you know, I, it's like we all know he's going to get his chance probably with Red Bull. You know, this this Red Bull dynasty really only seems to be getting better right now. Uh, and and it's just like, you know, Weber, it, it would be such a shame um, if that uh, if that didn't go down. And I think back to, uh, oh, was it with, when Hamilton just lost the championship in his rookie year? So 2007. Yeah. Um, and, he, you know, it was by one point or whatever. And it was like, but it was like, oh, man, that sucks. That would have been amazing if he were rookie world champion. The but first whatever. ever person to do it. Yeah, yeah. it's like, but whatever. He's, and he went he's, on to win it next he's year. He's still a rookie. You know, yeah, it's like that would have been an amazing Cinderella story. That would have been such a big, you know, such a big drama. Uh, but it wasn't like, you know, heartbreaking because it's like, oh, but, but whatever. You know, it's just this is he's obviously did a really, really good job. And for a rookie to go come that close, it was more than he could have hoped for anyway. And he'll go on and do it. And it's just I don't feel the same way with with Weber. I would be uh, quite a bit more heartbroken if that uh, if that all if that all came tumbling down at the hands of, of Vettel or Alonso even at that point. Yet again, with the exact same thing you just said adrian newey designed car red bull dynasty only seems to be improving weber's got a contract with that team and unless weber feels like oh i'm old now i should go slower i mean you know he in many senses does have equal opportunities and this was truthfully the first full season he's had i mean last year you know 2009 a little bit this is the first season he's really had to deal with all the things it takes with being a championship leader, a race, a regular race contender, that kind of stuff. He's probably learned a ton about, um, you know, race strategy and how the championship year can go and stuff like that. If the Red Bull team is strong next year and he still stays strong, maybe he doesn't break his leg this winter. Um, you know, he could take all the knowledge and everything he's learned this year and take another shot at it next year. He certainly could. I just feel like, if anything, uh, Red Bull now that they can see, they see the, the the success that they've had and they see the pace and all that are just going to be more behind Vettel than Weber. And I don't I guess quite know why I get that sense, but that just kind of is the feeling that I mean, yeah, they're sort of taking steps to be 
very like, oh, we're not very, we're really not team orders when it could benefit Weber. But I don't feel <laughs> exactly. like, like they don't, they're not no. quite as clear about, oh, no right. team orders when and it again, could benefit Vettel. And, I just, and there's your, there's your Cinderella story. He has more adversity to overcome than Vettel does. And that's just, that's just life. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you know, when I was racing, since you're bringing up my racing career in great ways, um, when I was racing, I had uh, no money. I was older than a lot of kids I was driving, uh, racing against. And, um, you know, my opportunities were made way more limited, but I was racing and that was, that was an opportunity that thousands and thousands and thousands of people didn't get at all. So it's one of those things. It's so, like, so you're kind of the Michael Schumacher of the Skip Barber national championship, <laughs> except for the seven like, world championships. Like, well, yeah. at least I'm racing. Well, my point is, is that Weber's got it tougher than perhaps he deserves and perhaps some of the other guys, but he's also has an opportunity that. So few people get, and maybe it would behoove himself, to, even if it's even slightly worse next year, to just embrace the fact that he's with he's with a race winning team, a championship winning team, and a championship winning car. And the thing I think that's really more relevant is, you know, I think the Mercedes is going to be faster next year than it was this year. I think Renault could potentially be quick. I think McLaren's not going to be a slouch. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the championship. Potentially, I mean, it's pretty much been getting better every year. And I think next year could be even better than this year again because there could potentially be five teams that are race-winning capable. Yeah, and, and what's I mean, it's funny because it's obviously last year with Braun just coming out of nowhere and just being amazing, um, it, it's changed around. You know, we would never would have guessed that, you know, three years ago. But if you just look at the past four or five years um, and, and just how the championships, like it's all the, the last races are, you know, Brazil specifically um, has just been crazy um, with, uh, you know, the Hamilton Massa and Raikkonen and just uh, how all that's gone down. And, and then, you know, Jensen Button even uh, in, in last year. So, um, you know, don't change a thing F1, <laughs> like, you know, right. they keep tweaking things and whatever. And, and I guess in a way it, it's, it's okay. And that it hasn't broken the, uh, the excitement and, and well, how I think close the movable rear wings could be fun. There's like, there's, yeah, you no, know, it's it, not all it bad. could be good, but, and I, and I, and I guess, you know, going back to curves and whatever, I mean, who knows it, it hopefully it, it's, it stays kind of like it is though, because yeah, it's some different guys at the top, but either way it's been, it's been good stories and so on. And, uh, and like I think you mentioned earlier when we were watching the race, um, you know, if Alonzo comes back and, and wins, I mean, he's still in the lead. Like, let's not forget, you know, it's like <laughs> we've been talking about all the Red Bull, everything, but Alonzo, 246 points to Weber's 238. Um, I mean, who midway through the season would have thought, you know, Alonzo, oh yeah, he's probably, you know, he's got a good chance at world champion. Well, Alonzo did, you know, in all the interviews, yeah, he was absolutely. all like, yeah, yeah, I'm still fighting for this. And people were like, absolutely. yeah, yeah, whatever, Alonzo. Whatever, yeah. But you know, for him to come back would, would even be a pretty big story. So, uh, hey, it's 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 pretty wild how everything's going on. By the way, I looked into it uh, uh, not too long ago, and I think both you and I actually did predict Alonzo to win the championship at at the end of last year. Oh yeah. So we're amazing. Yeah, you also predicted uh, Hulkenberg to be the highest uh, highest best performing rookie of 2010, um, which I think has trounced my prediction of Bruno Senna. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that that's our piece. You've heard from us. Uh, let's let's hear from a couple of the fans. Absolutely, it is the best part of the show. Of course, it is listener feedback. And as always, we're going to start with the comments that are right on Facebook, <laughs> right on F1Show.com. That's the one. That's the one. And uh, 13 comments this time, a very respectable number. Thank you very much. So many thanks to Ken for Schnicket. 
Frischnecked, dude. Frischnecked. We talked about oh. this. <laughs> it's different every time. No, he spells not. it different. No, it's not. Michael Kornbrecker, Henry Lake, Joseph Simmons. I think that's a, a new one we haven't heard from in a while, at least. Uh, Tony Bird, Bellissimo, Chris Alsop, Henry Lake, Henry Lake, Mark Schreiber, Andrew Baines. Schreiber. Whatever. Matt Patterson. I don't mean that to belittle the, last man, the man's last name. I'm just not very good at saying things. And finally, from Tony Bird, and I'm going to read this one because it was actually from this morning. <clears throat> no matter what happens in the race this afternoon, the race that already happened, or what happened in qualifying yesterday, the best driver in Sao Paulo this weekend has to be the guy that got Jensen Button and his people back to their hotel safely yesterday. And his people were his dad and his physio trainer and his manager. I mean, it's not just people. It's like, you know, family and close yeah, They colleagues. were his people, his posse. Yeah. He was rolling four deep. Yeah. The news here has been fairly sketchy so far, but all reports contain the words six men with machine guns. Jensen is quoted as saying the guy at, uh, was a legend. I go to the British GP every year, and a lot of the drivers stay or visit a hotel very near where we camp. Over the years, I have seen Button, De La Rosa, Kubica, Kovalainen, Barrichello, and Sato all chatting with fans and signing autographs on their way in or out. That's because Sato is awesome. Presumably, a lot of the others have done the same when I haven't been passing. Obviously, after an incident like this, the main concern has to be concerning, but I hope that doesn't mean that the drivers will become less accessible to the fans in the future. Uh, Tony Bird, we absolutely agree, and uh, it, it's definitely a little bit scary to know that um, you know things in Brazil are as such that there's still men with machine guns holding people up, but definitely we are all very, very grateful that it was indeed 24 people um, at the GP this year, not 23. Yeah, and uh, Bernie Ecclestone, actually, in an interview with Will Buxton on the grid this morning, uh, I guess you, you maybe didn't see this, but... Uh, uh, no, the, too uh, busy going 140 miles an hour. Ooh! Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. So Will Buxton asked Bernie Ecclestone about this, and he says, well, what about this whole, you know, the thing with Jensen Button and, and, you know, all that? And he goes, well, we don't know the details on that. that uh, you know, some people were saying it was just some guys trying to sell him a hat. So... <laughs> Either freaking Bernie. Either Bernie knows something that we don't, and the media reports are overhyped or whatever, or Bernie's really not taking it all that seriously, uh, which is either way a, a bit tricky. But uh, I think it is in Bernie's interest to downplay the dangerousness of the area. Yeah, and and you know I think there's certainly there were some people raise this as questions of oh Brazil's not safe enough to have a Grand Prix, and I really hope Brazil doesn't go away as a Grand Prix. Because of that, um, well, the track itself is fantastic. The track is fantastic. The time zone for us is it's fantastic. It's Interlagos, after all. There's two lakes, and it's in between. Name one racetrack that's uh, uh, in between two lakes in the states. None, because there aren't any. Because they're like, oh, that's a lake. Can't have a racetrack there. It's got to be a lake. True. Brazil, they've got it. Uh, another comment I wanted to read from F1Show.com is from uh, Matt Pattison. says he picked up the, the, from the BBC coverage that uh, we talked about this at the end of Korea, how uh, Vettel was saying, oh, it's too dark to race. And we're saying, oh, that's because he wants to stop the race now while he's in the lead. And Hamilton was saying it was fine. Um, Matt's comment, I picked up from the BBC coverage that Vettel was wearing a smoked visor. No, no wonder he was saying that it was getting too dark to race when the others, namely Hamilton, were okay. Just a thought. Maybe this is why he runs into the other cars. I still haven't forgiven him for taking out Button at Spa. Agreed with you, Matt Pattison, because Button was totally going to win the championship if it weren't for that. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and then on Twitter, uh, we did get uh, a usual uh, good you know uh, fan response and all that. So Cam McGrath uh, sending uh, sending shouts our way as usual, and Tim Meekins, uh, Ziggy F one who uh, was saying, hey, at least it's daytime for us here in the U S. It was three thirty in the morning in Australia when we were, when I was watching qualifying. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, uh, Boozy Boz uh, sent us a message. Uh, he said he couldn't uh, couldn't get Grand Prix on the uh, on watching it at a pub uh, because he was due to the bloody rugby. Uh, and then well, that is a shame. What's rugby? I don't know. It's okay. like, like kind of like soccer. I, I think, was going to say, does that involve carpeting? Uh, oh, nice. Rugby pun. Uh, Max Headroom <laughs> 6. Surprised to see Nico on a P1 in Brazil. Hopefully this drive locks him in for a new contract next year. We totally agree with that. Completely. Uh, and then uh, Jackie Morgan F1. Uh, Court Leanne. Apparently there's girls on Twitter and they reply to our things and that's really? exciting. They allow girls on Twitter now. Oh, well, let's not go there. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, you know, I just retweeted, you know, way to go Hulkenberg. What a, you know, an exciting... Uh, an exciting result and uh, she just says yeah by a whole second as well and amazed and so pleased for him that was uh courtly ann on on twitter by the and, way it's okay for me to joke because i have a girl's name yeah robin <laughs> um oh there was also some uh some twitter responses from some robin warner on twitter apparently captain old man twitter is for little kids man found his way well to you know how it is it's, they say good parenting means that you got to you know actually experience what your kids are experiencing yeah you so know, to get at that i i was confused and i've already um i'm already uh you know, I've had my credit card run uh, on scandalous items three times already. I've had to call and get that stopped. So it's it's just a dangerous place. I don't approve. Yeah. So anyway, Robin is actually using Twitter. Uh, and I, my I, comments were amazing. I think it's Thank flashing you. the pan. I don't think this is going to keep up. But uh, <laughs> either way, it also had a, uh, a reply from uh, a busted sofa. Somehow a busted sofa can tweet. Says, oh, shame. Weber deserves it so much more than the favorites on Vettel. Alonzo only needs second next week. And uh, that's kind of what we've been saying. It seems yep. like uh, it hasn't exactly handed the championship to, to Alonzo, as I posted, but it's sort of in practice. It makes it so much easier for Alonzo. So he was the happiest guy on the podium. You oh, know, yeah. With, and, uh, and the one other thing to add to that real quick, uh, you know, Alonzo is going to be on pretty much fresh engine. Mm. And uh, the other guys, we, we're not sure, but it's – there's – Alonzo's got the least to worry about in terms of engines. Yeah, and that's actually one of one of uh, Cam's last posts where, you know, happiest man on the podium, Alonzo. Probably can't believe Red Bull threw away a golden opportunity to secure the World Constructor Championship and reduce his World Driver Championship lead to one. So uh, there you go. And um, as always, we also had many, many, many people say things on the Facebook page, which is blowing up main time, big time. It's blown up main time, Jim. Whatever main that time. means. I just came up with a new saying. We now have... Believe it or not, get ready for this drum roll. 802 people that like us. Sweet. Dude, we own it. So, anyway, uh, many, many thanks to Tony Drake, Scan, Sean Scanlon, Soph Petro, uh, The F1 Show had some great comments, um, Mike Anders, Paul Peard, Andy Barnes, Rafa Lau. It's like our... Uh, Daniel Jewell, all the main people, James Payne, they're all there. Our Facebook posse is, is, is way strong. Keeping alive, what's fantastic, it really, really, truly has become, you know, Jim and I used to be really active on the Facebook page, kind of keep it going, stuff like that. Now, I go to the Facebook page to get information, to hear other people's insight and comments, because you guys keep it going so, so well, that it's really just a really fun, interactive place to be. And even now, even the F1 show.com is getting to that place a little bit where people are actually talking to each other a little bit on F1 show.com directly, which is even the most fantastic thing yes. um, ever. Um, one comment I would like to uh, uh, write, uh, talk about was from the F1 show who wrote, whoever predicted Hulkenberg on pole wins a thousand Cokes. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, many, many people 
Many, many people commented back on this, and there were a couple mentions about a statistical model. Of course, we're not to that segment of the show yet, so I have no idea what they're talking about. Thank you for enlightening us with that. So to get in touch with us, if you go to f1show.com, you can reply directly to the post there. There's links through to our Facebook page and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And uh, basically, it's a good way to go, and we love hearing from you. Also, if you'd like to uh, shoot us an email, you can do so to feedback at f1show.com, and that'll get to us as well. Ooh, that reminds me. Uh, we actually did get one of those emails, believe it or not. It's the first one in a while um, from uh, Stuart Holden. Who says, sorry for old school technology guys, but using work mobile on a train. So not only – what I love about it is not only is it an email, which is old school, they apologize for it. <laughs> We've gotten so few emails um, this season uh, once the Twitter page and the Facebook page really come alive. It's pretty funny. Anyway, he goes on to take a guess at the trivia question, which is coming up next. Trivia. 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 <laughs> Yes, of course, it is trivia time, and uh, as always, we will cover the question from last week, the last or two weeks ago, last episode, that was a brilliant one, and had we had lots of good people uh, guessing as well. Question was, if Fernando Alonso goes on to win the Drivers' Championship with Ferrari, it will be one during his inaugural season with the team. Would he be the first Ferrari driver to do so? Ooh, that's a good one. I really like that question. Yeah, because you wrote it. What's the answer? No! Ah! <laughs> He would be the fourth. And I think yeah, everyone knew he would not be the first. But uh, this is the rundown of who has done that as you know, driving, winning the Drivers' Championship in their first season with Ferrari. Juan Manuel Fangio in 1956, which was his first year with Ferrari. Yes. Jody Schechter in 1979. And Kimi Raikkonen in 2007. And I think a couple people guessed Kimi and a couple people guessed uh, Fangio. But I don't yes. know if anyone actually guessed no Schechter. No one guessed Jody Schechter in 1979. So... Uh, yeah, he will be, <laughs> will be, he very well could be the fourth man to do it in his inaugural season. Yeah, it's funny because you think about that. Wow, when would be the last time they do it? Ooh, 2007. It's actually not that long ago. But we must move on. And uh, as is our nature, we have a question regarding the Constructors Championship. Red Bull accomplished an astonishing achievement today, beating all the big and factory team to the Constructors Championship, establishing its place in history among just 13 other constructors. The question is, who was the first constructor to win the championship, and what was their country of origin? Hmm. 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 Yeah, along those lines, I actually uh, I tweeted after the race, you know, we're sort of like, oh, man, Red Bull wins the constructor championship. It's, you know, this team came out of nowhere, and, you know, they beat all these big guys with so much money, and oh, who would have thought last year that they would be anywhere near this? And when was the time something like that's happened? Oh, right, last year with Braun GP. <laughs> exactly. So it's, exactly. it's kind of funny, you know, Braun GP is one of the 13 constructors that's won the championship, and they were out of nowhere, you know, out of the remains of the Honda team and all right. that. So it's it's you know, it's funny how these things go. And in a way, it's like, oh, this is amazing and the first time ever. And in a way, it's like, well, also last year at the time, it was pretty amazing <laughs> and crazy and unforeseen then too. So uh, it's just kind of how these things go sometimes. Exactly. And I am actually going to give a legitimate hint for the trivia question this time around. Okay. And that is just a reminder, everybody, that the Constructors' Championship did not start at the same time as the Drivers' Championship, which Ooh. started in 1950. That's a good hint. Good hint. Good hint. 
Alrighty, it is time for predictions, and I am super excited because if you listened back to last week's show, uh, I actually had Hulkenberg for pole position. So Did I am you? Really yes. Excited. And that's the thing, too. Like, no one believed you. Yeah. No one believed you, and then they were really shocked when I said, Jim, I agree with you. Hulkenberg's going to be on pole position. Jim, you're crazy, they, they said. They, They'll yeah. never get pole, they said. <laughs> How would that happen, they said. Okay, that didn't happen at all. But let's take a look at what actually did happen in this week's predictions. Well, I think you definitely used your heart and not your mind for predictions last time because you... That's just how I roll. You put Weber to be on pole and Weber to win the race, which would have been a lovely Cinderella story as we've been talking about all podcast. Yet, it was not what happened. Weber qualified third. He finished the race second. Jim, that gives you three points. Not a bad showing, especially for you, I have to say. Um, hey. <laughs> uh, you did eight times better than Korea, where you scored 25 points. So uh, there you have it. Sometimes it'd be like that. I, on the other hand, I, on the other hand used my mind uh, and oh, not my heart. And, and how that, that work for That you? proved to also be a bad idea <laughs> because I thought, well, this is uh, Massa's home race. The Ferrari has really been coming around. Massa is going to be on pole position. Uh, no. Massa no. was ninth. He barely got into Q3. He was basically and also ran the entire weekend, which was really a shame to see. Um, but I also said that, no, I think Sebastian Vettel is going to win the race. And he did. That gives me a grand total of eight points, which uh, I have to concede. I am five Cokes behind you. Jim, you win. I owe you five Cokes. Sweet. But since you owe me 25 Cokes <laughs> from last weekend and I have yet to take delivery of those... Maybe I can just uh, Maybe we can pay those down out. that way. Yeah. The fans, we picked um, Bellissimo as a fan who also predicted uh, Felipe Massa to be on pole, perhaps also used his or her mind for that, and was also incorrect. Um, unfortunately, they went a step farther and put uh, uh, Fernando Alonso to win the race. Which was incorrect. Not, not, not all that bad, but... Yeah. Not all that bad, but anyway, 10 points for the fans, a respectful showing... Um, Bellissimo, for what it's worth, did also say that Weber would finish second and Hamilton would finish third, which was actually pretty darn close. And finally, the statistical model, um, who very stupidly picks whoever was on pole last time to be on pole this time, whoever picks to win the race last time wins the race this time. And being that as it may, um, Sebastian Vettel was on pole and Fernando Alonso was going to win the race, yet that was not to be. Vettel was second and Alonso was third giving the statistical model a three additional points, which means that, um, I'm Jim, as good as the stat you model. You tied the stat model. You tied the stupid knowing-nothing stat model. Good job. Yeah. So it- that brings the grand totals uh, for uh, everybody. So the fans are now at 210 points, uh, really, really still struggling to get it down here. Um, Jim, you are down. You are uh, up to 161 points. You have won this event seven times. I am at 117 points, and I've won this event 10 times, which means I have secured the Predictions Constructor Championship. Woo! And which also means that it's the offseason, I'm going to owe you like 57 Cokes. Uh, Roughly. Yeah. Which is going to be tasty. And the statistical model yet has pulled out an edge again and is at 115 points. We have one chance to beat it yet. We have a pretty good chance to beat it. And that's because uh, pole for, position this weekend was Nico Hulkenberg, uh, and which means the stupid statistical model is going. Yes, so we all know where that's going. And they also say that Sebastian Vettel is going to win the race. Obviously, he's not because it's going to be Mark Webber. Let's go ahead and hope that's true. But the statistical model has already said its piece. Jim, it is your turn. Okay, um, I think Red Bull is is going to be brilliant, and they're going to have a one-two in qualifying as they have done so many times. 
and I think Vettel is going to be on top, but I think Weber is going to make his way around him in the race, and he's going to come, and Vettel's going to come second. Alonso's going to be third, thus handing the championship back to Mark Weber in spite of everything that's gone on. Wow. With Vettel on pole and Weber to win the race. Wow. Wow. That is wow. how I think wow. it's going to go down. It's kind of how I hope it goes down, and uh, that will be exciting one way or another. I am going to upset you. You think it's going to be Massa? Oh, you think Alonso's going to win? I'm, I'm, first of all, going to disagree with you about qualifying to a certain extent. I also agree with you it's going to be a Red Bull 1-2 in qualifying. But because Weber has been unable to do it so for so long and he's got so much riding on this, I think fate is going to give him that extra little nudge that he needs. And I think Mark Weber will be on pole. Ooh. However... <laughs> I I don't know why I'm I don't want this to happen and I certainly don't want to play any part in of willing this to happen but there's just some skeptical side of me that says Red Bull is going to find a way to just so badly screw this up and who's the one person that's going to benefit from that Fernando Alonso Fernando Alonso is going to not only take the championship because of Red Bull's uh uh lack of uh of clear thinking but I think he's going to do it by winning the race after some screwiness happens with the Red Bulls. And that is my prediction, which I hope is wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, season finales, we've seen some interesting stuff because everyone in the championship hunt is thinking championship, and then everyone who's not there is kind of going for just the best result they can get. I mean, right. so it very well could be like a McLaren win or something. Yeah, I could and... see Hamilton winning this race, but I don't know. It just seems like their car is just, you know, for a long time they were just skirting back and forth with like, being a true fast enough car and everything else. And McLaren is still second and likely to clinch second in the Constructors' Championship despite being the third and fourth fastest car sometimes. But I just think that car is slow enough that it would take something else happening to the other cars for it to really be a race winner. And it's not like it's likely to rain in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> so, although <laughs> it's also not likely that Nico Hulkenberg will be on pole, but who knows? But who knows? So that is that is my stand. I I, I genuinely hope I'm wrong about uh, about Alonso winning. But the, the race. final prediction is Weber Alonso for you. That is it. Alrighty, it's on the paper. Well, so it's on the computer. As always, um, feel free to contact us in the variety of ways we mentioned. Just go to f1show.com if you want to put in your put your what tip. No, your hat in the ring, whatever, whatever the uh, whatever the saying is. Put your hat in the ring, yeah. Throw your donkey on the cart. Exactly. Yeah. Put your horse before your cart. I don't know. Um, and uh, put and your cob on the corn. <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> Let us know what you think for predictions. Let us know uh, which, if you have answers to the trivia, as well as if uh, you think our sort of changing around the race report and just kind of doing the race chronologically, if you like that better or not, then cool. Chronologically ish. More or less. And, uh, yeah, we, we just, uh, yeah, six, uh, well, seven days till the race day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Abu Dhabi, there's going to be on-track action and stuff. In just a couple of days, it's only less than a week away. It's pretty exciting. And that will be one way or the other. Someone will be 2010 world champion next <sighs> weekend. And we will be right there with you with a, with a podcast for it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you then. So until then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. Make your day tomorrow a good one. <laughs> <laughs>
Of course, a thousand thank yous to our excellent catering service, Restaurants. And finally, we'd like to offer a huge thank you to Bio Bonsai for use of their song Inspector B from the Big Band album for our outro and intro music. The F1 Show is brought to you by two Americans who love the sport of F1, Jim Lau and Robin Warner. 